and welcome back, everyone, to yet another episode of Going for Two, presented by Home Field Apparel. I am your host of this podcast, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, Matt Brown. I am joined here on this beautiful Thursday afternoon by my friend and colleague, Brian Fisher. Um, It's been a hell of a week, which, of course, we say every week. This has been an especial hell of a week, Brian. And it's been a challenge because this is not an original bit. But I joked here that I am one of the rare sports writers that is not actually an attorney. Um, and I know you fall into that same boat. When I worked at SB Nation for a long time, I honest to God think about one out of five of our bloggers had passed the bar. And, and like a third of my colleagues had passed the bar. This was a, a profession that attracted disaffected attorneys. And I, I bring that up because half of this job now, half of this beat, is to talk about legal stuff. And we can pontificate and pretend that we're attorneys and, and that we know exactly how some of these, these laws go. Uh, or we can ask people who know more of what they're talking about. And I'm excited today that we get to talk to somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. Yeah, I feel like we, we could definitely teach a, like a 2L contract, contractual law class, you know, at, at some uh, mid-level uh, law school. I think we're, we're, we're approaching that <laughs> after between reading, you know, like conference bylaws and trying to sort out insane enforcement guidelines and memos. And it, it has been a lot. And it, it's, it's been another wild week. But uh, hey, this is just a life in the NCAA. And, you know, I was, I was joking with somebody last week in Arizona. It's just like, you know, when, this has become a 24-7 type of sport, you know, again, oh, yeah. and, and like the NFL certainly has. They, they have built that brand. They're doing schedule releases on you know Thursday night in prime time just to kind of build up the offseason drama. And the college football is kind of the same way. There's been a new story seemingly every other day. Uh, there's been the, the wild ones. There's been the, the kind of esoteric ones. There's just been uh, kind of your normal run-of-the-mill rumors that uh, end up surfacing. And yeah, it, it has been been crazy. And uh, the good news is we have podcasts like this to, to, to discuss it. But uh, the other time, the other thing is it does keep us up uh, quite, quite late at night. Yeah, no, it's, it's- it's funny. I honestly think you're right. Like it's I, one, I, I actually do talk to college classes all of the time. There are extra, there are schools that use extra points as like a textbook supplement or a textbook for their sports management classes. But I've spoken to sports law classes. Um, I don't know if I could teach one, but it, it, it is funny. Like if we just think about what we've had to pick up over the last two years, both of us who you know have you know, spent the early parts of our career writing a lot about the football part of college football. And now I mean, I think just since I started Extra Points, I've had to learn a hell of a lot more about epidemiology than I had expected. Yeah. Like my biology, my biology knowledge was the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. And then suddenly I had to like talk to so many public health people to do that. I've learned a lot about sports law. I've learned a lot about how media rights work uh, and, and valuations. Uh, I Between selling ads myself and getting into the NIL world, I, I feel like I've picked up at least a couple of credit hours for getting an MBA. Am I forgetting something? I'm, I'm sure I probably am. Immigration law, maybe? Yeah, uh, that has that has popped up recently. I mean, like it, it is kind of it is funny to think about how when when you do it, go end up you know going to school and you think, all right, I'm I'm gonna do, use this degree. I'm I'm gonna you know learn everything I can, and then it's like you, you go a million different directions uh, right after uh, you know kind of walking across that stage and the things you learn over over the years in this job. It it really does kind of you know reinforce the the folks that do work in college athletics. You know, like how how nimble you have to be. 
just to deal with everything that gets thrown your way. And that's not even kind of going into the, the higher ed realm that, that I know we both have a little bit of background in, in as well. And like that is a whole even another level yeah, uh, beyond that with, with additional yeah. layers of uh, on the onion, you know, when you're, you're dealing with a multi, you know, massive, you know, multi, uh, you know, uh, just large uh, university systems, you know, like the, the crazy things that uh, you get involved in with that. And so it, it has been crazy, but uh, it definitely does, uh, does keep you nimble and it does keep you learning on a constant basis. Uh, yeah, the public policy classes for managing gigantic state institutions, higher education, you're right, all, all of those things. We're not going to dig into every single non-college sport, I mean, uh, non-college football related policy question, but we are ex- happy to talk to an expert who I think is able to give us some very specific updates about sports law, the NCAA's ability to enforce uh, collectives and 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 amateur you know rules here over the next couple of weeks where we're happy to talk to Mitt Winter who in addition to being an attorney that works specifically in the higher education uh, college athletics world was also a former college athlete himself he's somebody that that, that follows this world has been involved with some of, with, with with athletic departments and collectives and, and many of these other kind of like third party groups and knows this space better than I think almost anybody so we wanted to bring Mitt on here to help answer some stupid questions or dumb questions for me, more informed questions from Brian to help us really understand what the layman should take away from the last couple of days. All right, wonderful. Mitt, thank you uh, so much for joining us here and uh, lending some credibility to uh, Brian and I just kind of talking based on things that we uh, we, we read on our phones. Um, thanks for taking a couple of minutes. No problem, thanks for having me. Mitt, why not? Why don't we start with 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 this? Um, I have seen some attorneys, some activists, some other writers. I think uh, write with a complete, hundred percent conviction that there is absolutely nothing the NCAA could possibly do to enforce uh, their initial guidelines from over the summer without being sued and losing. In your uh, esteemed opinion. Do you think that is accurate or do you think that there is some nuance here uh, that, that may play out on, on some level? Um, I think there's definitely some nuance here. So it's, it's not 100% certain that the rules that the NCAA is trying to enforce here now um, would be declared an antitrust violation. Um, the, the, law, the rules at issue here are different than what was considered in all center O'Bannon for a few reasons. Uh, number one, we're talking about rules that are banning third parties from paying athletes in O'Bannon and Alston. It was talking about what kind of compensation the schools can give to athletes. Um, so to me, that, that's a big difference. Um, those, the latter type of rule, um, or sorry, the rules relating to what a third party can pay an athlete, those, you know, those were not an issue. So they were not considered whether they were an antitrust violation or not in those cases. Um, so Alston did leave some room, I believe for the NCAA to still argue that rules that prohibit boosters from paying athletes as recruiting inducements, um, are still okay under the antitrust laws. Maybe I get on that note, assuming that there's, that there's some potential nuance, depending on how, uh, various judges might, uh, interpret some of the, that statute, that precedent. 
So here's a dumb question. Like, let, let's say hypothetically the NCAA puts out, you know, p- puts out this, this this statement here a couple of days ago saying, uh, as a reminder, boosters cannot uh, you know, use these NIL deals as recruiting to, to, to induce someone to pick a school. And, uh, the, the, and, you know, a month later, they decide to open up an investigation. They declare an athlete ineligible because he very clearly signed a contract that was contingent upon him playing somewhere. There's a lawsuit. I mean, do you can can you like would would a, would a judge issue a stay for keeping the NCAA from enforcing any of these rules until the legal process completes, which can take a while? What is the the practical risk potential for an athlete while any of this kind of goes through the process? Um, I don't, you know, assuming that fact scenario plays out and a lawsuit is filed against the NCAA, I don't think a court would enter any sort of injunction preventing the NCAA from enforcing its rules while the lawsuit plays out. Um, that didn't happen in O'Bannon, didn't happen in Alston. Um, so I don't think it would happen here. So while a case is pending, the NCAA could still be out investigating um, deals that it, it believes are recruiting inducements and going through the enforcement process. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely don't think an injunction would be entered. And Mitt, Mitt, obviously, a lot of the the deals that we've seen with some of the collectives in, in particular, some of them have kind of stated been very vague in terms of the actual contractual uh, nature of, of some of the, the the clauses that they might put in there. I know I've heard about uh, while it's it's kind of trying to get around the direct uh, payments in, in terms of uh, inducements to a school. It's obviously like you have to make so many appearances in a certain area during a certain time frame, and, and that's kind of how they've gotten around it. Have you heard of any other kind of creative language that are coming out that maybe would pique your interest a little bit, but obviously is, is not really running afoul of some of these new guidelines. Yeah. I was talking to someone else about this today and a lot of the contracts that collectives are signing with guys that, you know, are kind of right on that, that line of an inducement or not. Um, they say as long as the athlete attends any NCAA member school or something along those lines, so they don't specify the athlete has to go to a specific school. So trying to get around, you know, that, that inducement, rule that the NCAA has. Um, you know, even with that, I'm, I'm very skeptical that if the NCAA goes and tries to enforce its rule based on, on one of these deals that has that language in it, that the NCAA is going to say, uh, you're right, because your deal had this language in it. It was not a recruiting inducement. You know, everyone knows which collectives are affiliated with which schools. So, it's pretty easy to infer um, which school you needed to go to to be able to sign this deal or to have this deal offered to you. Um, you know, that argument will be made that, oh, it's, it says they don't have to go to the specific school, but it's pretty easy to infer. Plus, the NCAA will probably, if they do go after one of these deals, they'll have some other evidence that they've gathered, that, you know, put it all together and it, and it looks like an inducement. It would be pretty funny if over the next six to nine months we get a situation where you know division street at oregon is is now publicly paying somebody or supporting somebody at oregon state um just because someone decided to call them out on that and they have to demonstrate that precedent i don't know how likely that is but it it, it would make me laugh if if that's how this goes i know i would i would love to see that happen if if you know say whatever school it is they offer a guy a deal and says he doesn't have to go to any school, just any NCAA school. And 
he signs that deal, but then goes to another school that's not affiliated with that collective. What's what's going to happen there? It would just be interesting from a lot of different angles. Would like would would they pay him like you just said? Would would they try and get out of the deal somehow? Um, yeah, it'd be a very interesting situation. Or, or like you said, would they just go ahead and go through with the deal just? to look better under the NCAA's eyes. Well, I mean, hey, hey, Phil Knight has given a lot of money to, to his other alma mater, Stanford. So it's definitely possible out there. But I, I, I'm curious, we've also seen some, some mergers in this space, obviously more kind of school-specific, a couple FSU ones merge. Is there the possibility that to kind of get around things, uh, you could see some collectives end up merging, where they might keep operations or deals separate just to kind of get around some of the NCAA guidelines that we, we just saw? Yeah, it's possible. Um, one thing I've thought that some of the collectives might do is make them totally owned and operated by people who are completely unaffiliated with, um, you know, division one school or any, any school at all. Um, Cause then you're kind of getting around that rule of, Hey, I'm, I'm not a booster anymore. Um, so I'm not a booster that's getting involved in the recruiting process. I think that'd be an, an interesting thing to see if some of the collectives try and do that or a merger kind of, as you talked about, then you're not necessarily a a booster of a specific school. Um, Would they be considered boosters of multiple schools though? It's a question that, you know, no one's really addressed yet either. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Adidas was, if I was remembering correctly, here's a a gigantic multinational corporation that was supporting dozens of institutions and was classified as a booster. I don't, I'm just kind of spitballing here. I mean, maybe there's a world where under some definition that becomes Learfield or JMI or some other big company that deals with dozens of institutions. Then if you're taking those off the table, that really does limit. I mean, you basically have to find Swiss banks. To, to be bagmen, which th- I, might be a challenge, not an impossible one, but a, a, a logistical one for sure. Yeah. I mean, we've already seen people get creative off, right off the bat with uh, NIL and collectives and everything. I'm sure you know other people are going to come up with, with new ideas to try and um, work around NCAA rules. L- let me ask you maybe another dumb, just logistical question, because I, I, I feel like the three of us, I've talked to enough people and, and seen enough of these co- of collective deals to know uh, that deals that are what I think would pass a reasonable assumption of being an inducement. Those definitely exist. But I think the three of us also know there aren't a whole lot of NCAA investigators. And this investigation process has never been smooth, um, e- even when there's lots of a preponderance of evidence. What is the argument for anybody to actually be con- like legitimately worried about uh, an investigation, knowing that none of these have ever gone? They all seem to take two or three years and there's just not that many people. It's a really good question. Um, I think obviously the NCAA is a little understaffed. They you know, are under resourced right now. Um, they're not going to be able to go out and investigate every single deal that's right on that, that inducement borderline that they might hear about or that someone tells them about. So they're going to have to be really selective in the ones that they choose to investigate and enforce, you know, so chances are, you know, I don't know if anyone has ever put a number on the total number of NIL deals that are out there. Um, but the chances are that if your, your deal is the one that's going to be investigated as percentage wise is probably, pretty small. So, you know, if you wanted to take your, your chances, um, mathematically, your chances are probably pretty good that you're not going to get investigated as long as you're 
you know, staying under the radar somehow. Um, I don't think if you're out there in the media telling people about the deals that you've signed, that that's going to help your chances at all. And I would say that those deals that are, you know, have already been talked about a lot in the media or maybe talked about more in the media are probably more likely to get investigated uh, than other deals. This is bad news for us because I think I want to go ahead and speak for Brian. We would like people to tell us about their deals. We would like them to leak things to us, even if it is potentially embarrassing. Yeah. Um, I, I know like the, the, the defense attorney rule is like shutting up is free. Like that, that is yeah. something that would probably help you. But we're not really dealing with the class of people that's super good about doing that. Yeah. Um, what's the fun of being a bag man if you can't let everybody know you're being a bag man? <laughs> um, there, shoot, there was there was something else. I think I, uh, on, you know, actually, you, you kind of raised a very interesting point. It's a little bit unrelated, but I, I'd just be curious to know what you think about it. Is there any way of knowing really how big this market actually is? I mean, we can go. Like, I filed dozens and dozens of open records requests for the compliance forms that athletes send to their compliance departments, and they tell me that that might only be twenty percent, twenty five percent of the total deals, and a lot of the compliance stuff isn't necessarily recorded either. Mm -hmm. Is there any way to reasonably estimate the size of the NIL market, either market driven NIL or just all of it? I think it's really hard. Um, obviously, there are a significant number of deals that have been done through marketplaces like Open Doors, Influencer, Icon Source, No Cap, other ones like that. So they would have those numbers, and you could you know, get a reasonable idea if you use those numbers. Um, but there are also a lot of deals not going through those marketplaces, especially some of these collective deals. And as you alluded to, a lot of the deals, even though they're all supposed to be disclosed, are not being disclosed. And I would assume that a lot of these ones that are on the, uh, on the line of being an inducement are probably not being disclosed because I have a hard time imagining that schools would be signing off as okay on a lot of these deals. Um, so I, th I do think it's, it's really hard to get a, a true handle on how many deals are being signed and the value of all these deals, unless people are going to start sharing all that information, which has become more unlikely. Kind of going back to that, that enforcement point, though, I, I mean, if, if you were advising a student athlete who say enforcement's knocked on the door, they, they said they wanted to talk with them. I, I mean, how, how would you advise them? Obviously, they might have signed some deals with collectives. They might have understood their, you know, under the table or over the table with some wink winks that there might have been some inducements there. But uh, what would you kind of advise them when, when they go into that meeting with uh, the NCAA enforcement, not only to say, but but also turn over? Like, I mean, would they be compelled to kind of turn over uh, the contracts they, they ended up signing as part of these NIL deals? Yeah, based on what the NCAA said in their memo they issued on Monday, I would tell them to give the NCAA as much information as they're asking for because based on what I read in that memo, they're not trying to declare athletes ineligible by going out and doing these investigations. So if the athlete wants to you know, stay eligible, they're basically giving them immunity as long as they're sharing the information that they have. Um, so, you know, just from a representing the athlete standpoint, I would tell them to, you know, share the information, share, you know, text, emails, whatever it is that you have, um, and just don't hide stuff because it's going to be worse for you if, if you try and hide something or if you lie and later on they find out that you lied or hide the information, um, that would, that would be a worse situation for you than just telling the truth and someone else who's the bad actor gets in trouble, um, but you get to stay eligible. 
I listen, I definitely think it's great advice to follow instructions the first time and maybe, you know, not not uh, not you know, habitually step over lines when authority figures have asked you not to. I, 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 I was talking to my daughter. That wasn't actually talking to, 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 to athletes there. No, no, I um. I I I I, under, I mean I, I understand that, but but you know I, I just for the benefits of our audience, if I'm a football player who definitely signed an inducement uh, related contract, and the NCAA says we don't want you, we want the boosters, come talk to us, and you say as the football player, no, uh, you said you don't want to take away my eligibility, like I dare you, then then don't do it. There's a risk you, you, you as an attorney, you'd be concerned the NCAA could say, OK, then I'm going to take away your eligibility um, because I, it, it seems like if I was to be cynical looking at the last couple of major infractions cases, I don't know what the NCAA has created a great incentive to cooperate, given how some of the programs that did cooperate were ultimately punished. You know, true. Um, if I was representing the school instead of the athlete, I would maybe give them different advice um, on what to do. And especially if I was representing the, representing the booster or collective, that would be different than I, if I was just representing, um, the athlete. But I think from the athlete standpoint, and this is all assuming that before the NCAA comes to have that meeting with the athlete, that you have a written assurance from the NCAA that no matter what information this athlete shares with you, he's not going to be declared ineligible. I, I would want to have that that all in writing from the NCAA before sharing any information. That's that's good to know. But I, I think what you guys are, this topic is a very interesting one. I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. It creates all kinds of conflicts of interest among the collectives, boosters, and the athletes, the schools and the collectives and the boosters and the athlete and the school because the boosters and collectives don't want the athlete to share any incriminating information. The school might not want them to share all the information, information they have, especially if, you know, one of the coaches at the school was somehow involved acting as an intermediary with the collective or doing whatever with the collective. So it's, you know, I think it's important for athletes if they do find themselves in a situation like this to have someone representing them. Um, whether that's an attorney, agent, parent, somebody who's just looking out for them, because if you're relying on the collective to represent you or your school to represent you, there's there's too many conflicts of interest there. This is a great point. This is something I'm trying to really wrap my arms around in general, I think, over the, the last couple of months, because everything you're describing there is a great point. I th- I, I'm seeing this even in the agent space with some of these firms where coaches, the same agent might represent a coach and a player, and they're trying to use those relationships to uh, help their clients by boot, like bolstering their roster uh, to maybe to the detriment of the athlete's long-term earning potential. Uh, you you have some, the, the, the interest of the collective and the interest of the athlete might not always be in the same place, which I know, and I, I keep coming back to, who is the body, who is the person here that has the highest amount of risk and the least capacity to analyze that risk it seems to be the athlete uh, maybe among, among anything if you have it you would want somebody who's outside of this whole ecosystem who's only responsible for you given that I don't yeah I think you're right I don't know if you can trust anybody else to, to really do that uh, when the chips really come down yeah um, you know I, a school can give you um, you know advice but 
again, the school's interests aren't necessarily aligned with yours. They could, you know, have an attorney on staff or someone that they work with who's outside counsel that they could um, have represent you. But I would, I would want to have independent counsel if I was an athlete. And, and we've obviously heard a lot about these these deals just in terms of, of how, how lengthy they are as well. We, we've heard multi-year deals being end out. We've obviously heard some some on kind of more the, the single year deal. Do you, do you think maybe the, the ones that are kind of for an extended amount of time, whether they're they're covering an ent- athlete's entire uh, tenure at a, at a particular school or obviously during their kind of college career, uh, are, are those the ones that you think maybe the NCAA is going to look a little bit closer at because they are uh, just just the length w- would kind of inform you in terms of, hey, they're, they're tying them to a school? Yeah, I would say the length and, you know, dollar amounts that they hear about are probably the ones that they would uh, be the most interested in investigating and, and opening up enforcement cases on. Um, just, you know, just for the reasons that you gave, they look more like an employment contract um, than in some of these other ones that are being called NIL deals. Um, so those would be likely ones they would you know want to investigate. And is there is there anything be, that really the NCAA can kind of do in terms of uh, punishments? Obviously, they've they've kind of talked about disassociation, but like you know, Reggie Bush was uh, disassociated from USC for for a, you know a decade, and then he's back. You know, not only on set for for Fox, but you know he's back doing things and they're doing promotional things. So it's it's kind of a, a pretty toothless punishment for a lot of them. I guess you might uh, not have your your box seats for a couple of years if if you have a suite or something like that. But I mean, is is there anything else that the NCAA can within their kind of mechanisms that they could do to kind of enforce some of these things or or put some teeth into things? Uh, not with the boosters or collectives. You know, all they can really do is make the schools disassociate with those boosters, um, but they don't have any other authority over an outside third party. I think the, the most effective thing for the NCAA to do is to sanction, and what I've heard talk about is sanction the schools with significant financial penalties. That's what Gene Smith and I, others have talked about um, as, as a potential way to address this. Um, cause if, if the schools are actually getting severely punished, you know, probably really quickly, they're going to go over to these collectives and boosters and say, Hey guys, knock this off. We know that you think you're helping us out, but it's not helping us out. If we are getting fined significant amounts of money that are actually harming our athletics program. Um, it remains to be seen whether that'll happen and how quickly it would happen. It, you know, it'd have to be a pretty fast process for it to actually help and, and matter. Um, but I, <laughs> so some people have, have in mind as one way to address this, but who knows if that'll happen. Let me ask you maybe one last big question. Uh, because Lord knows this has been the major topic that's captured the interest of the entire college sports media ecosystem and analyst ecosystem. And there's been a lot of, of important talking points that uh, that we've gone over and I think our colleagues in, in, in this industry have gone over. Has there anything that you, I mean, because I know, I know you read a lot of this stuff. From your vantage point, is there anything that you think people like Brian and I are missing when we're talking about NIL, when they're talking about the NCAA's like enforcement structure or about what questions we should be asking with, with some of these deals and contracts? Oh gosh, that's a, that's a good question. There have been so many angles that have been covered on all of this already. Um, it, it has fundamentally broken my brain. <laughs> more, more, I think more than realignment, 
more than satellite camps, more than so many any coaching search of these other things like this. This has thrown me for a different loop, which is which is why I ask, because I'm I'm, I'm sure there's stuff I'm missing. Yeah. I mean, one thing that's kind of been talked about a little bit, but hasn't been covered in depth, at least that I've seen, is how involved are the schools or their coaches or somebody else in the athletic department? How involved are they in actually talking and working with the collectives? Um, Because we know that the collectives are targeting certain players. And I find it hard to believe that in all those instances, they're just doing it because, oh, they read in the newspaper that, you know, the school we're trying to support is recruiting this player and then they reach out to them on their own. Um, I, I'd be interested to see what kind of communications there have been between coaches and collectives or other, other people at schools and the collectives. And I don't know if there's a good way to get that information or if anybody would, would talk about that. I'm, you know, the coaches aren't going to volunteer up that information. Um, collectives probably wouldn't either. Um, but I'd be interested in that. And I don't think that's something that's been covered in depth. Maybe that's because it's so hard to get that information. Well, I mean, coaches have been kind of doing that, just that, you know, for, for years now. I mean, this is this is no secret to them. You know, they, it's obviously been under the table then yeah. versus kind of over the table with NIL. But, you know, if, if you are a, a, a coach out there, couldn't you essentially claim if you made a phone call to a booster? Hey, we were just talking about uh, some donation you were having or the season ticket sales like that, that. Those kind of conversations go on all the time and schools yeah. encourage it. You know, you, you want your top end boosters to talk yeah. to your football coach so you can get a million dollar donation. Like I, I would imagine that for the school's part, you can almost claim a little innocence and be like, they were they were not talking about anything that you claimed and that that bar to prove that on the NCA's part would be significantly high wouldn't it yes it would and that's another reason why these enforcement cases for the NCA are so hard they don't have subpoena power like like if it's a court case they can't go get text messages um, they can't depose the boosters the collectives they can't subpoena people so it makes it really hard to gather information um, but yeah you're right I mean, yeah, I was just thinking like those are kind of conversations that aren't happening on the official FOIA phones <laughs> that, that I, can, I can get involved with. And the, I mean, I think you're right. I've also been told that there are a couple of places where, quite frankly, the athletic director and the coach do not love the people who are running some of these collectives. Yeah. And so not only are they not working hand in glove, they may there may be like actual an antagonistic relationship. That's, that's another interesting thing that people haven't you know covered a lot. Now, are there some antagonistic relationships between the collectives and the schools? Um, that's an interesting angle as well. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not just about, as it's been kind of explained to me, if I'm sitting in the AD chair, if you're lucky, you have a, you know that you're going to be aligned 100% on values with the people running your collectives. But sometimes it's about power. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's about somebody else who now is a shadow general manager and, right. and has goals that are not aligned with yours. And yep. and, and maybe and maybe the, and maybe the AD and the coach know that booster and they just think he's a real son of a bitch. Yeah. Um, and and that kind of thing happens happens too. That this that tracking that nationwide, I think, is outside the investigative capacity of what Brian and I can do. Yeah. But that's definitely something I think we'll want to keep an eye on. There are a lot of Buddy Garrity's out there. Let me let me say that. <laughs> yeah. There's, well, there honestly, some, yeah. If there was some way that someone was able to 
listen in on these phone calls or sit in these meetings between collectives and, and coaches or whoever, that would make an amazing story. Well, folks, uh, my email is matt at extrapointsmb.com. Um, you can DM me for my phone number. I'm on Signal. Um, if I, you know, I have a PO box. If you want to mail me something, and uh, I, I say this on, on a lot of podcast episodes, you joke about it. People have mailed me stuff. Um, it wasn't as interesting as I as I hoped it would be, but that doesn't mean that the next batch won't be. Um, Mitt, thank you so much for hopping on here and helping to clear, uh, clarify a few things here for us and our audience. You've been extremely helpful. I'm sure we'll be talking again later on. No problem. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. You bet. I want to very quickly unpack what Mitt was just talking about. But before I do, I would be remiss if I did not take this time to tell you about our favorite sponsor, Home Field Apparel. Because there's some very big news happening here with our friends at Home Field Apparel. We have another season of big new Saturday coming, which means there's not that many heavyweight brands left that you can't find on homefieldapparel.com. We're going to get one of them, a real wampin, this Saturday with the addition of our friends, the Arkansas Razorbacks. And I have seen one of these designs. I have not seen all of them, but just based on that one, I would say, uh, once again, the good brand has made some stuff that you're gonna wanna buy. Even if you're like me and have no affiliation with the University of Arkansas whatsoever. I, I've been to Fayetteville once. I've been to the state, I think twice in my life. I, you know, that's, that's not a strong enough connection to steal some valor, but they're good shirts. And I, I know some of the other schools later this season, I don't know all of them with the exact order yet, but I do know that a couple, there's, there's some other very exciting brands coming very soon. Well, in the words of Sam Pittman, yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's, that that some, would be, there are our, there, no, we, we, we could have paused for the dramatic effect. I probably could have dropped in uh, uh, the, the actual sound bite from, from Sam uh, down the road. But hey, uh, it, it is a great collection. And uh, I think not only Arkansas fans will, will be excited about it, but I think everybody else will be excited about what's to come because uh, even, even the refreshes recently that have been off the mark, there's, there's a new uh, Burrow shirt uh, from, from Colorado School of Mines that's uh, turned into a sweatshirt that uh, I have definitely had my eye on. There's uh, you know some, some brand refreshes for a couple new shirts for some other schools so it's like uh home field apparel that is certainly where it's at and no better place to uh, to save uh, that 15 percent than uh, when you're adding quite a few things to your cart yeah that promo code to save 15 percent is extra points to get everything i saw the blaster hoodie and as, as you, you know how i feel about cartoon animals and explosives paired together a plus plus, but it's also been like ninety degrees uh, here for the last week, and so yeah, like, it's 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 tough to order the the, it's, the hoodie. It's tough to order the hoodie. I'm rocking the Illinois uh, shirt today. Did I go to Illinois? Nope. Um, but uh, I feel like when in Rome, I do live in Illinois now. I, I guess I, I pay taxes to help support the University of Illinois, so I guess I guess I can uh, I can buy the shirt. Um, and of course, if you are a university official or a conference official or somebody that has owns collegiate uh, uh, kin intellectual property, drop me an email at matt at extrapointsmb.com if you would like me to put you in touch with a good brand about getting your stuff on there too. We shouldn't let the Illinois and the Arkansas and the Florida states have all of the fun. There are plenty of mid and low majors that have uh, really cool, compelling shirts that have sold quite a bit. Uh, and there's no reason to let everybody else be one of those. Um, Brian, I, I I joked about this a little bit in our conversation with Mitt, and I, which I, I really did think was, was super instructive and something I, I learned here from. But this trying to track this story 
really has broken my brain a little bit. And I, I feel like I might have one big column left for early next week. And then I, I just for me, I think I kind of want to let NIL go for a, a couple more weeks at the very least to kind of see how things go, because this is so much more than a recruiting story. It's a finance story. It's a business story. It's a legal story. It's a it's a philosophical story. And everybody involved is selling something, which makes it really kind of hard. And, and we don't have good information, which I think makes it par- hard to really kind of parse through what's really happening, you know? Well, I, I think the the NIL stories are still going to rope you back into uh, to thinking about them, even if you want to kind of push them off to the side. Just the nature of things happening right now. And look, I mean, the, the 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 overall thing about NIL is is the crazy part is like these are still interim guidance. You know, there, there's going to be a report uh, that that's going to be done later in the summer. There, there could still be further restrictions and further guidelines put on things. Could be further changes, and and who knows? Maybe uh, all that lobbying that uh, Greg Sankey and George Kafkov and and uh, Lead One and, and all the others that have been doing in Washington, maybe it ends up producing uh, some sort of bill you know, in Congress. I think we, we both kind of doubt that that will end up happening, but it, it's, it's in the realm of possibilities, at least. So um, this is a constantly evolving space. And I think we're, we're all both on the same page, too. We're, we're going to see some more mergers in this space. We're going to yeah. see some big changes in terms of how schools deal with things like, um, you know, even the state laws themselves are changing, uh, you know, quite rapidly the last couple of months. So Happen, uh, happening you know, right here in Illinois, too, I, I would so, expect. You know, like, yeah, you, it's like you, there's there's everything on the docket, and and again, getting back to you, got to be nimble in this space. That that includes coaches, that includes ads, that includes development staff, that includes people that are involved with these boosters and and, and collectives, and like it, it is a constantly changing space, and uh, the fans need to be aware of that too. And you know, I know it, it's been difficult. We we discuss these, we debate these. I know fans say, uh, I don't, I don't want to get involved with the, the the players when they're getting paid, but but you know what? When when the games roll around, you know, come come September. You know, come come late August and, and training camp is going on. Like you're you're going to get back into the flow of things. You know, you'll have some more normal rhythms. Those games will still be played. You'll still end up watching and and seeing the you know the the eye getting dotted. Uh, you know, there at Ohio Stadium and or or you know whatever you're tuning in for. Like you, you're you're going to be excited uh, to have the the football season, the, a new basketball season, or, you know whatever sport you might be interested in in, in following. You, you'll get back into things. And uh, this is just a, a bit of an off season distraction, but uh, one that uh, again is is constantly evolving and one we're going to have to keep talking about here on this podcast. Yeah, I I think that will be true for a lot of people. I don't know if I if I uh, this maybe this is just me being too conservative or because I've been online too much. I don't know if I'm willing to if I know like, yeah, that'll definitely happen for everybody. I, I mean, I think that happened last year. I, I, it would be difficult, to, I think, to find too many fans who saw NIL over the last football season and said, like, I saw someone do an ad for Buffalo Wild Wings. I'm out. Like, no, I, I, the, it would be easier to argue where this was more additive than, than one that detracted from everything. I, you know, we'll see because there's been obviously been a lot more roster transition tied to this than there was last year. The, the, not to drive this into a ditch right before we, we kind of wrap up here, but the comparison that I've been thinking so much about over the last 72 hours between like with this space is with crypto. And, and part of that is you had a whole kind of industry that was pro, that was you know, basically built to to, uh, to hype up uh, the 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 money that can be made in this world or the size of this potential market. I think most people knew that uh, upon a careful inspection of some of the products and some of the contracts involved that this doesn't pass the sniff test. There's a lot. I mean, there's a, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of garbage, and also a sense that you know maybe we're not even really sure who this is actually for. 
Um, and we're now we're seeing that the crypto world face some really gigantic structural shocks and, and corrections. And that's one that's going to have a, make force a lot of people like real people, not like hedge funds, but real people to lose a lot of money. And I don't think it's a one to one relationship. But, you know, we're looking at markets where there's not really r- strong rules, strong reporting, strong information. A lot of the people that write about it. Uh, are are conflicted in in, in some capacity, and I w- I have some empathy for someone who would even say, Matt, that kind of includes you. Like, well, I mean, maybe a little bit. Um, I I get how you might look at that and say, I screw it, I I don't I don't I don't want it. I don't I still processing this, but I, there I think I think there's something there, and, and plus I mean like shit, some of the, some of these firms are literally trying to sell NFTs to like raise money to give NIL deals. And like launder that deal through like a JPEG of like a drunk leprechaun or something. Like some of this is very on the nose. We yeah, had like no, you would see like announced their NFT thing like two days before crypto apocalypse. Like that. Yeah, that feels like a very college football story. It is, and uh, I, I mean, I mean, there have been on the field changes that are coming. Like you know, we'll, we'll probably get a, divisions eliminated for for the vast majority of leagues to where you're kind of matching you know one versus two. So like there are some on field kind of relevant discussions that are still taking place. But um, I think nil just kind of is suffocating for a lot of folks. I I understand that out there. I think you know you go back to last fall and there was kind of a bit of a novelty to hearing you know or, or seeing DJ Uyunglele do oh, yeah. that Dr Pepper ad or something like that. And and I think you know the, there's going to be much more discussion about it on game broadcast you know they, they might say yeah he's, he's got a, a, a you know multi-thousand dollar deal with a, a car dealership or you know the certainly you could see some producers incorporating some of these social media posts where they're like this guy has a lamborghini now you know it's like um you know the, this heisman trophy winner is is now driving a lamborghini like the, there there are some uh i think aspects that, that will probably be a little bit more in, in your face a little bit this fall um, yeah, as, as uh, you know especially the networks kind of get uh, get used to things but uh, it, it is a brave new world and uh, I think the the thing that you got to keep in mind is you just got to be be flexible uh, be nimble and uh, you know listen those, those games are still going to get played uh, and, and I think that's when we can kind of sit back and, and relax just a little bit and, and not end up talking too much about this stuff it, it is weird that our, our lives have become this thing where the football season itself is where we can relax yeah. When normally this used to be the time that we would like go on vacation or or play FIFA or, or do other things. Anyway, no one's going to weep for us because we get to talk about sports here for a living. And we get to talk about sports for a living because of the support of people like you. Thank you so much for continuing to support and listen and watch to this show. Uh, we have some other guests uh, that we hope to be able to announce very soon. One of the things that Brian and I have been working on a lot over the past couple of weeks is lining up current athletes to talk about their experiences. And if we're going to talk about NIL or transformation or reform, uh, it's one thing for us to talk to suits. We wanna be able to bring on some more athletes. And so we're gonna be excited to be able to start uh, announcing those folks uh, in the very near future. Brian and I are hitting the road in the near future, which uh, will, will lead to some other, I think, exciting shows. If you enjoy the show, please leave us five stars on Spotify, YouTube, Apple, or your microwave oven, wherever it is that you happen to get these podcasts. I mean, I think you can do that on some micro on some microwaves uh, and, and be sure to, uh, that you are subscribed to extra points, which you can find at extrapointsmb.com. that publishes five days a week. Uh, two of those are free to everybody. Uh, the big free story this week was we, I worked with some developers and we built our own NIL rumor generator. To uh, we built this to make fun of some of the ridiculousness in the space, and then of course in this week, how Mummy is now having an NIL firm. 
And uh, a major basketball recruit decided to stay at school so we could sell a Chinese product called Wonder Balls. Like, I can't even make this shit up. And, uh, but as so the sport is impossible to parody, but we could read our, our best effort uh, on extrapointsmb.com. Uh, did I get everything, Brian? I think that's it. And uh, make sure you give us five stars. If you have a, a place to rate and review this here podcast, if you're not already signed up for the D1 Ticker, go to d1ticker.com. That's another great place for catching up on, on all the latest headlines, uh, whether it's NIL, whether it's uh, schedules changing, whether it's uh, some commissioner or some AD said something stupid. All of that is, is certainly going to be in, in the D1 Ticker. And uh, it's <laughs> something that a lot of the industry is, is reading as well and laughing along at home along with you. That, that That's true. I, I'll just say this only because this is, this is long and we have a bunch of other things to do uh, this Friday. You're getting off easy from me, Gary Barta. I saw what you said. I read what you said. Uh, I'm sparing you the 25 minute, uh, you know, uh, treatsy here. I'll just leave the show with this. In my humble opinion, Gary Farda. All right. We'll see y'all next week.